Hi, my name is Tara Humphrey and welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management and leadership trainings and lessons learned from leaders in the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. episode I met with Gary Hughes who is a practice manager at the Waterfield practice in Berkshire and he also does some consulting supporting practice managers and partners to develop their general practices. Gary is so passionate about the kind of the strategic side of his role and we talked about how he balances the strategic um, pulls on his time alongside the day-to-day operational aspects. We talked about social media, the importance of branding. We talked about how practices can use digital channels to reach their audiences. We also talked about, obviously, PCNs. And we also talked about how practice managers can effectively work with GP partners. And to kind of round off the conversation, we talked about how practices can reach out to the next generation of people potentially entering the field. So I really hope that you enjoy it. Hi Gary, thanks so much for joining me on the Business of Healthcare podcast. Pleasure. Thank you. Um, I've seen you lots on LinkedIn and for months now I was like I really want to speak to him because we both work in the field of primary care and I've looked at your posts around like leadership, why practices should consider their practice as a brand and resilience and I just thought from a business perspective it'd be really great to have a conversation and for you to share some of your insights. Sound good? It sounds fantastic. Just the sort of thing I'm interested in. Okay. So please could you share what you do, where you work and what you are currently working on? I'm a full-time practice business manager at uh, the Waterfield Practice in Bracknell, Berkshire. It's a 13,500 list size two-site training practice. Um, we're successful. We've, I mean, we've grown an awful lot. In the last three years, our list has grown 8, 8% and it's, we've had a steady growth over the last sort of 10 years we're fairly innovative we certainly you know it's my philosophy that I don't want to stand still I want to keep changing Um, in terms of what we're working on at the moment I think probably like everybody it's primary care networks and I tend to be you know I'm one of the longest serving practice managers in the area I tend to be quite vocal so I took an active role in getting as together getting the practices talking anyway and you know forming that network because there was lots of different views and opinions and our network has decided to work very closely with our federation uh, of which I was a director once upon a time for that as well Uh, so that's the sort of thing that's I would say taking up a lot of the time at the moment although within the practice I'm having to rebuild my non-clinical team at the moment because we've had lots of people that reached retirement left or just reduced hours you know they're getting to that stage in their life where they want to do that and I've had to take on a new assistant practice manager as well so there's a bit of a rebuild going on in practice and outside of that I do some consultancy work and you know enjoy these sorts of conversations and uh, networking with people like yourself. How do you find the time? Yeah I'm a school governor as well so yeah wow. it's, a, it, it's a struggle and I'm, I'm my biggest critic and I often sort of think I'm not doing that job well enough um, and that's probably a time factor. My wife says I've got to be doing something. I've always got to be doing something. So you said you took quite a large role in setting up your PCN. Yeah. What is your view on the PCN having to be headed up by a clinical director? Madness. <laughs> I tend to sort of uh, be quite direct in, and I think it is madness uh, because, you know, we've got a situation with our network at the moment where 
they don't have the organisational skills, they don't have the leadership skills. Generally, there are some exceptions. And, you know, the practice managers do. And uh, we're sitting around the table most of the times just not being involved and we should be in those leadership roles. So I think it's absolute madness. So do you, is your CD in your practice? No, not. It's uh, from another practice. We have seven practices for our primary care network. It's, it's gone over the 50,000, but, um, you know, CCG, we're happy with that. The clinical director is a GP from another practice. Okay. So what sorts of things have you been doing? You've done your network agreement. Are you all on the same page? Yeah, we are. That's all signed, schedules all done, which I did. The primary care network, I was heavily involved at the beginning. I'm trying to sit on my hands a little bit now and sort of let others take the lead. A little bit of that thinks that, you know, they're going to realise actually they've maybe got the wrong people doing it. But, you know, sometimes people have got to find out themselves, haven't they? Okay, excellent. And how big is your network? Seven practices and how many patients? I think we're about 80,000 patients, I think it is. And can you tell me what does a typical week look like? And I know everyone will say there's no typical week, but what I would like for listeners that maybe that don't work in general practice or aren't 100% clear on what a business manager does in general practice, can you walk us through what a typical week would look like? Not as organised as I'd like, but I think that's the nature of the role. You know, it, there's too much firefighting going on. And I sometimes I, I do training practice visits uh, for, for the deanery. You know, I sometimes go into practices and they, I'm in awe of how well organised they seem. Uh, but I'm probably seeing, uh, you know, maybe a false picture that day. So anyway, my, my typical week, um, I try to structure my day. So I will do emails first thing in the morning, uh, go on, check, clear a few uh, I will flag things to deal with them later if they're bigger things, uh, unless they're so important and pressing they've got to be done. I have quite an open door, uh, and I, you know, I want that sort of close relationship with the staff. So I tend to get pulled left, right, and centre, which is a bit of a failing. But I try and keep the middle part of the day to try and do the things that are, you know, whether they're the bigger things that move the practice forward, or whether they're, you know, it's enhanced service returns or working on your strategic goals, those sorts of things as well. So I try and do that with the middle part of the day. Uh, There will inevitably be, uh, through the week, a couple of meetings because NHS loves meetings, doesn't it? Again, I try to be a bit rigid on that. I try to say, right, I'm going to have one meeting on a Tuesday, a Wednesday or a Thursday. Across those three days, I'll have two meetings and no more. So if I'm asked to do something, I'm going to say no. Sometimes that fails. You know, somebody will ask for a meeting. It's so important. You've got to do it. I try and keep Friday clear so I really can think about the things that take practice forward so yeah that's sort of the typical week and I I suppose if I'm honest about it there's too much firefighting there's too much being pulled you know left right and centre that's my failing I'm always trying to work on that. So how many staff does your practice employ? Non-clinical staff is about uh, 25 we've got uh, six GP partners two salary GPs two trainee GPs nurses, paramedic, healthcare assistant, phlebotomist, me and my assistant. Do you ever wake up and you go into work and you think, I am responsible for all of these people, all of these services, all of the HR, the finance, the strategic stuff, the contract, the amendments, meetings, premises, or does you just take it all in your stride? Does it ever feel daunting? No. But that, and, and you know, and it doesn't, that's the bit that gives me the buzz. And it's particularly when you talk about the strategic stuff. You know, I'd rather not be doing as much of the operational stuff, but, you know, that's life and that's the role. It's the bit that gives me the buzz. And I think probably it doesn't get daunting because I've been doing it so long. I think the only time that it becomes a bit 
that uh, daunting, and maybe that's not the word I'd use, is if you get a whole load of negative things coming one after the other. So, you know, when you get a lot of those and you just think, oh, it's a bit crushing, and, but most of the time I can switch off. It's not daunting. So in your biography, you state that you help practices become stronger and a more resilient business. So what does that look like? What I'm really excited about, and I have throughout my career, whether it was in general practice or not, is business and management and leadership. Far more than, you know, and this is probably not the right thing to say, but far more about the, the healthcare aspect. What really excites me is business management and leadership. And the general practice is business management and leadership. And all too often you see practices that are not really set up to be a business. And I think that um, they might be successful as a general practice, but they're not necessarily focusing on being a business as well. You know, whether it's, you know, measuring things, having a set of KPIs and you know, measuring those and letting those help and support your decision making, using those to, you know, motivate the team and guide your team. You know, there's maybe not a strategy that guides the partnership. So it's helping the practice with those sorts of things. Absolutely not practice management. And I think there's a real distinction between practice management and business management. So it's helping practices with those things. And there's a lot of practice managers who are fantastic practice managers, but they maybe haven't had a commercial background. You know, they maybe have come from a different route. So, you know, they, they maybe don't have the skills and it's supporting them on those areas. Do other practices in your neck of the woods, and I suppose thinking about your PCN, do they come to you for advice and guidance? Well, yeah, informally. It's because you have such close working relationships with them, you tend to get asked informally. And equally, I will ask some of the others because in our locality, we're quite lucky. We have actually quite a good, strong group of practice managers. And I will often ask for help on things that are... Uh, maybe more practice management that I might be weaker or not as close to um, and I yeah I do get asked you know I've been answering uh, some emails this morning somebody wants some help they're having a training practice visit and uh, reviewing an SEA process so I'll get helped and you tend to do that informally. So you say you do a lot of firefighting but what is the biggest challenge you encounter on a daily basis with running your practice? God, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I'm tempted to say patience. Patience are the biggest challenge. The unrealistic demands they make on a practice because I think that makes it difficult for the reception team, the GP team. It gets elevated up to the practice manager sometimes. So I think that's the most difficult thing at the moment. You know, and I think added to that may be the unrealistic amounts of bureaucracy you get from NHS England and and CCGs. Yeah, we're involved in some clinical contracts and yesterday I had seven meetings in the diary. Seven. Madness. You need to to structure your diary time. I know. Um, And can I ask you, what role do you think social media is having in general practice now? I suspect not as big as it should be. Our practice, we did um, go onto Twitter and set up a Twitter account probably about three years ago. And uh, we were using it regularly, but we had such a small amount of followers uh, from the actual patient list that we discontinued using it. I suspect if we'd have taken a Facebook route, it might have been better, but we were more worried about the sort of engagement we might have had on Facebook. So we didn't go that route. I, I suspect it's smaller than it should be, 
but I think there's a real place for it. And I, I often think, actually, if, if anybody wanted to set up a business in primary care, set up a business managing people's social media or practices social media. Interesting. I think social media works when you write your own stuff rather than it just being corporate messages. If I knew my practice manager was on Twitter or was on LinkedIn... I would love that. It's nice to see a face and nice to know it's not just a corporate account. And I think as a way to tell people what's going on behind the scenes and and also drip feeding through. I went to a meeting about cervical smears, you know, like getting people to send that sort of messages out. I think would be really, really good. I think it'd be fantastic. You're right. I think, it, you know, it can't be a, uh, an account that seems to have no connection with the practice. Yeah. But I think... To my mind, the sort of um, messages that need to be put out are there probably are a mixture of national messages and campaigns and things and some that are clearly personal and coming from the practice. Um, and I, I, I mean, you know, I'm not setting up this business, but I absolutely believe there's a way that that could be done. Uh, you know, if somebody came to me and said, look, we manage social media for general practices, we'd like to manage your account and your social media uh, campaigns. I'd absolutely be interested but I'd be wanting to have some involvement and, uh, you know, I'm sure there's an easy way that we can do personal messages as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, our website, it's so easy for us to change and put information on our website. It's done within, you know, a couple of hours normally uh, just through an email. Our SMS messaging to our uh, patients, it's so easy. There's going to be an easy way of doing it. And if someone could take the bulk of it, leave us that little bit, I think it'd be fantastic. Okay. That'd, be my ne- that, that'd be my next business, okay. Can we be partners though, <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. You did a post on why practices should consider themselves as a brand. How does a practice do that? So I work with practices all of the time and they would just think, you know, we've got our website, you know, this is the name of the practice. We've been here for ages. I, I don't have time for that stuff. You know, they, they need us. They will come when they need us. Do you know, I think that um, every practice has their own identity. And, it, and in fact, it, you know, I think it's often... A thing that gets in the way of practices collaborating or even merging you know they're so protective of their own identity so they have this identity and you know going around and seeing other practices they are all different but practices don't shout out about that i mean for, for us it was very much you know when we started to do some work to try and create our brand and i accept it only penetrates locally but i think there is an awareness you know it wants it we wanted it to be about a very patient-centered practice uh, we, I think a starting point for us was we built a website and it, it, it's called Footfall. And I don't know whether you've come across that. It's by Silicon Practice. We were the first in the country to go live with that. But it was giving over 30 ways for patients to communicate with us about lots of different things. Uh, we very much don't want to turn patients away uh, at any time. You know, if they request they need to see a GP, we will try and accommodate them. So, you know, for us, it was very much building a brand around those sorts of values but also um other things as well you know we were taking uh, some sort of strong images that were used on our website and trying to bring those into the practice it was al- always instantly recognizable that was the waterfield we're trying to use this brand when we go out and recruit and at the moment we we're very successful um you know when it when it's a challenging uh, world out there for recruitment but we've I'll say very we're we're successful in terms of recruiting whether it's locums or full-time so we try and use that brand uh, as well for our for our recruiting 
um, and for our education as well. So uh, I think it is important. I think it's, you know, it's how you portray yourself to patients or your, you know, stakeholders and other partners. So why do you think practices or some practices don't see themselves as a business? Do you know, uh, yeah, I once asked a few years back, I was doing an away day, and I once asked a group of GP partners, do you consider yourself a professional or a business owner? I think there were six partners around the table, and only one said a business owner. They were all GP partners and they were business owners. None of them considered themselves as a business owner. Uh, and I think in general, I think, you know, at the top, the partners, the business owners, they just don't see it. The, you know, I, th- I think they probably don't want to be business owners. I think they don't see and understand that, you know, they're responsible for all their staff paying their mortgages. And I, I always sort of try and bang home the message. You know, the, the worst thing that could happen for you as, a, as a, a, a business owner is you could be sent to jail for corporate manslaughter if there's a health, big health and safety uh, incident. You know, I try and be as scary as I can and get, the, you know, you are a business owner. Um, but do you not, when you say things like that, is it surprising that they go, no, no, <laughs> I'm not a business Well, owner. I don't know. No, actually, I found it's worked the other way and they sort of start to get it. And they sort of start. And I think when you do start to explain those things that they probably hadn't even thought about and you do try to help them see that actually they can shape that's the strategy and the destiny is in their hands that, you know, I think a lot of GPs probably think we can't do anything. NHS England won't let us do anything. But, you know, the way the contracts are structured, which, yes, are barriers. But when you actually start to help them with things like strategy, they can see that they can take their business. They have some control. A lot of control um it starts to make a difference i certainly you know where i am my practice i went in there 11 years ago i don't think they considered themselves as business they were fairly good but they absolutely get it now but i still constantly say it's your business it's your business and i think the other reason that maybe practices don't is that quite often the practice managers who are running the business are not fully allowed to, to manage and run and lead the business there's a control from the GP partners that won't let them, which is a shame. I think that's a barrier. So I'm just looking at the things I'm involved in at the moment. I'm going to practices saying, will you sign up to this integrated nursing home scheme? Will you sign up to increase your use of advice and guidance? We need to increase our uptake in cervical screening. You've got your PCN stuff. We've got a proactive ferity register and we want to introduce Coordinate My Care. You've got care navigation training. We've got workflow optimization training. We've got a leadership course on top of all the other stuff. So as a practice manager... How do you make decisions? All of that stuff you could argue is good for, you know, is needed and good for patients and the practice. But the more I do my job, and I've only been in this field for four years in primary care, I do understand they can't do everything. They do have to prioritise and sometimes it's a no and sometimes it's a, it's a not now. Whereas before I would be like, why, you know, why is it so difficult? But I do understand now I I do have more of an appreciation, but all of this stuff is designed to help. There is income attached to it. And ultimately, the client, the customer, the stakeholder, they've got patients that need to be served. So as a practice manager, as a business manager, how do you make those decisions when you are up to it as well? Some things don't get done because there's just not enough time in the day other people in you know, similar positions to yourself working with practices get frustrated and I see that because 
they're not getting the access, the you know the, the, that partnership working that they'd like. And I think a lot of that just comes down to there's not the time in the day from our side to be able to do it. And I think in terms of choosing, I think as uh, I think most practice managers probably do similar things. You know, you first are going to do the things you have to do. So whether it's, you know, a, a return for enhanced service or something for NHS England that you have to do, you're going to do that. And then you will probably do, depending on what practice you are, you might do the things that you're going to get clear, direct payment. Um, or maybe you're going to be a, a practice that's going to do something because it's maybe interests you and excites you. It might be something like education or it maybe fits in with where you see the practice needs to go strategically. But there will always be things that are left behind. It's a shame, but it's, um, it's the world we live in. So what do you love most about your role? The people I work with uh, and the variety are probably the things that I, I love. I, I have a fantastic team and I think all of the people that you see in practice, the non-clinicians, the GPs, the reception, you know, I take my hat off to them, the dedication they have. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a team really that doesn't work well as a team and support each other. You know, and I'm lucky to have a, have a great team. I often say to them, you know, it's a, they've got a real can-do attitude. Um, so that and the variety, I think. And I, I, as a practice uh, manager, I'm very lucky that I have a huge amount of autonomy. And, you know, although I'm not a partner, I'm treated as a partner and I'm, I'm allowed that sort of uh, luxury. So that sort of variety and autonomy, I think, are the things that I really enjoy. So you've got a passion for leadership and business development. Have you had any specific training to support this? I like you. I've got an MBA. Um, I think it comes through your career. So, you know, my background, I mean, I started out as an optician. You know, from that, I became a director and business owner of, you know, a very, very successful big independent um, group of practices. I left that. I was a general manager working for the owner of a, a regional group that I had to sell for him. And that was a great learning experience. It, it was a business that had to be sold and, you know, got a successful result out of that. And then I went into the veterinary world and was a regional director um, for a group that were growing by acquisition. So that fits really well in today's, you know, primary care world, all the collaboration and mergers and things. And it was after that that I took a, what at the time was a bit of a work-life balance decision. I'm going to go into general practice and I won't be traveling around the country and working such long hours and things. Although that's changed a little bit. General practice has changed. Um, so I think, you know, it's all through doing, you know, the MBA and the certificate in education, you just your career experiences that uh, have really developed me. Cool. Do you listen to any podcasts or have you read any recent business books that you would recommend? I'm not great on reading uh, business books. I suppose the last one I, um, that I read that you can put in that vein, I suppose, was uh, Matthew Syed's Black Box Thinking, okay, yeah. which is okay. fantastic. And I think loads of lessons to be learned, as, as he very clearly states. Podcasts, I, I, the Ockham Health uh, Care podcasts, uh, absolutely be following yours now. <laughs> and I, I dip in and out of others. I, I love HBR podcasts. Uh, I love TED Talks. Um, and, you know, I, you've got to get away sometimes. Desert Island Discs, you know. <laughs> I need to listen to that. Oh, there's some great people on there as well. There's some fantastic. So, yeah, I dip in and out. I have phases on those. But Okay. And when thinking about the business of healthcare, if you could share one key lesson or one insight that you'd like others to know about what it takes to run a health-related business, what would that be? Well, that is a huge question. I think it's the same whether it's a healthcare business or 
or anything else. Get your customer focus, you know, for healthcare, it's patients. You know, if you get that right, if you're really looking after those, most other things will follow. You know, you could, you could look at it from the other end and just make sure you make a profit. But in actual fact, I think if you go at the other end and make sure you're looking after your customers, your patients in the right way, you tend to find you're going to be successful at the other end and the financial end and, and with your team and your people. So, you know, when I was working as an optician and it was the vets, it's the same thing. Look after your customers or your patients as it is for us now. Get that right. The others will follow. Before I kind of stumbled into primary care, I knew that my doctor's surgery was there, but it never occurred to me that I could ever work with or work in there. So for those thinking about their careers, whether they're clinical or not clinical, how do we promote and increase recruitment into general practice? Yeah, we're rubbish at that, aren't we? I think. I think we're not really not good at all. I've never, ever seen anybody suggesting um, take a career as a practice manager. Never, ever suggested that. And interestingly, I, you know, I, as I mentioned, I'm a uh, governor uh, for our local school. And one of the roles I have is um, as a career, the career governor. And I was talking to them yesterday about careers. And they have lawyers coming in and accountants coming in and people from the IT world. And I said, you haven't got a GP on that list coming in to talk to you. You know, there's no practice manager. So I think we're very bad at it. I, and I think... Um, practices do need to reach out and I know there's lots of work trying to get GPs and nurses you know and build up the workforce coming in that way but uh, yeah there's more to it than that you know there's masses of young people that I think would do a fantastic role coming into practice and you know working in the non-clinical teams definitely practices need to open up and reach out there yeah when I think of apprenticeships and IT and social media and the management I always say to people now it's so interesting but the doors are very closed unless you've got a family member or you fall into it you don't have people at school or college thinking I really want to work in general practice and I must confess you know we're always asked will we take work experience and I always say no and I hide behind, oh, it's too difficult with, you know, data protection and everything. And I always feel bad about saying that. I would love to take on an apprentice in the practice, you know, a young person, for two reasons. One, I think, you know, actually it would be really good for the practice. And I think I could find somebody really valuable to stay with the practice and build a career. But also I'd like to give the young person, the young people a chance as well. I'd really love to do that. But I haven't. Hey, had the time and the bravery to work it out I think we'll get there one day I think it'll get, it'll get done but yeah not there yet and my last question how do you divvy up the jobs between yourself and your new assistant practice manager okay I very much like her to be working with me as a partner in the practice so there are not many things that I will say I'm doing that you can't possibly do that um, I, you know, I will try and make sure that she's absolutely involved in all the conversations and everything as much as is possible. There are some things that are going to be confidential. Um, my new assistant practice manager has been with me a month. There were some clear things I wanted her to do. Uh, I wanted her to take us forward in some of the things uh, around the areas of IT that we'd slowed down a little bit because I'd had a three-month gap without an assistant. So, you know, she had some clear roles in managing heart services, but very much give her a, her sort of you know her head if you like and allow her to get involved and okay cool well that is it thank you so much i don't know whether that was any good or it was brilliant 
There you go, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. And I hope that you got a lot from it. I will leave Gary's LinkedIn link in the show notes of this podcast. If you're not already connected to him, go across to LinkedIn, like his latest post and tell him that Tara sent you. I would really appreciate that. And I will see you in the next one. (laughs) 